0: These words. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. We find this echoed almost in the same way in the Westminster Catechism, which says: Saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. A few words about the sermon. The sermon will have two parts. Each part will have seven short points. As we go along, I'm going to list them and I'm going to make a few comments about each one. I'm just saying this, that you know what's coming. Seven points, and then another seven points. So let's go. This is part one, which is found in this book, right? And part one is about spiritual gifts in the community. And it's a list of seven points that, again, you can find in this book. Number one, the purpose of all spiritual gifts is to serve others and glorify God. Now, normally, normally when you think about a gift, whatever the gift is, a toy, money, book, a drink, whatever it is, you think about it in the context of me and my gift. I need to share it with myself and that's it, right? Right? People even make a point out of the fact that they don't share their gifts, right? But it is exactly the opposite with spiritual gifts, right? They are, they are not our property and they're not given to us so that we can use them on ourselves, right? The way and the intensity and the passion with which you serve with that gift shows two things. The faith and the love you have for God, on the one hand, and on the other hand, how wonderfully your heart has changed from me and my gift to I have this gift to serve others, right? That's the pattern, right? And yes, it is called a gift, but it's not yours, as I said, you're just a channel, You're the channel through which that gift comes into one community, right? Point number two, every Christian has a gift and every gift is important. Now, because of our fallenness, probably, we have the tendency and the, let's put it like this, talent to categorize and classify gifts. For example, my gift is better than yours, like the Corinthians did, if you know the context, right? Or, my birthday gift was better than my Christmas gift, right? Maybe. But, in the body of Christ, God assigned every believer with a function. And consequently, because you have a function in the body, you have a gift. So, you cannot say, as a Christian, I don't think I have a gift. Because you disqualify yourself as a Christian. It's logical. God has given every believer a job, whether small or big, whether in the spotlight or in the sun or in the shadow. But everybody has one job. But again, because of our fallenness, we tend to recognize only the spotlight and not look beyond that. And in a sense, Paul kind of thought about this and he kind of anticipated this tendency of people in churches and he envisioned the foot saying because I'm not a hand I do not belong to the body or the ear saying ear saying if I'm not an eye I don't belong to the body do you guys have feet and ears you do which means what You have a gift, right, in the church. Point number three. Gifts are sovereignly bestowed or given by God. You possess the gift that you have because the sovereign God of the universe has given it to you. And why? Because he has a plan with your life and he specifically trained you and gifted you in such a way that you will fulfill that plan. Right? At the same time, never think of your gift as of little little worth. Right? Because what you do is you tell God, your plan for my life is of little worth. Right? And in the same way, never look down on another brother's gift because you do the exact same thing. You belittle the gift and the plan for that brother's life. Right? Sisters. And sisters, or sisters. Every gift is given by God's grace. Now, normally, when you're presented with a gift, do you deserve it? Every kid in this world would say, Why not? Why not? Right? But when you are presented with a spiritual gift, do you deserve it? Every child of God should say no. Right? None of us deserves any gift from God. And every gift of God is given to us because Christ died on the cross. That's it. The only reason. Now, the gifted person... Namely, all of us here who name, name ourselves children of God should not say, well, you know, I've been in the spotlight. God likes me. I've done so many things for Him. That's why He gifted me. Or He's gifting me. Gifting? Is that? No, that's not a word. He continues to give me gifts because I'm good. No, that doesn't work like that. Point number five. All gifts must be developed and exercised. Now, even though gifts are given by grace, it is our responsibility, our responsibility to develop and exercise those gifts. Now, remember Paul telling Timothy, fan the gift into flame, right? It's hot, it's it's coals, but make it a fire. Or, in another place, do not neglect your gift. Right? It's it's almost like saying, don't just have it, use it. Right? The effective use of our gifts, this is a quote from the book, the effective use of our gifts does not occur without diligent and intentional effort on our part. And do you know what the minimal effort is when it comes to spiritual gifts? Show up for church every Sunday at 5 o'clock. Well, 4 o'clock. That's the minimal gift. That's the minimal effort. Sorry. That you invest in the community. Number six. The effective use of every gift is dependent on faith in Christ. We walk by faith and not by sight. That is the most simple definition of a Christian life and the most radical. If there's one thing that separates you from any kind of walker down this street, is this. You don't walk by sight, you walk by faith. So it is with every spiritual gift. No gift is exercised apart from my faith in Christ. Quote, Jerry Bridges says in the book, pay attention, I'm going to read it twice. The necessity of conscious dependence on Christ for his enabling power is a fundamental fact for every aspect of the Christian life. Whether in spiritual growth in our own lives or in the way we serve each other within the body. Second time. The necessity of conscious dependence on Christ. For his enabling power is a fundamental fact for every aspect of the Christian life. Whether in spiritual growth in our own lives or in the way we serve each other within the body. You cannot serve in the body if you do not trust Christ. You will not grow as a Christian if you do not trust Christ. Right? That's the point. And finally, number seven... Only love will give true value to our gifts. Now, you all know the classic scripture about love, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and everything that's there. It's set in the context of spiritual gifts, right? And the conclusion there is, without love, it all amounts to Nothing. Nothing. I cannot serve Herodes if I do not love Herodes. Go home and think about it. That was part number one of the sermon. That was from this book. Now comes something different. Recap. The purpose of all spiritual gifts is to serve others and glorify God. Number two, every Christian has a gift and every gift is important. Three, gifts are sovereignly bestowed by God. Four, every gift is given by God's grace. Five, all gifts must be developed and exercised. Six, the effective use of every gift is dependent on faith in Christ. And Seven, only love will give true value to our gifts. Hopefully I didn't say anything new. So that was the first part of my sermon. The second part of my sermon is about love. It's an exposition of point number seven. Only love will give true value to our gifts. I would like you to see this second part of the sermon as an application for these seven points. right? First theory, application. Let me, let me, so what I want us to do is to look at that specific passage, First Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, and see what love looks like in the context of spiritual gifts. So let me read the text to you. Love is patient and kind. all things, hopes, all things, and endures all things. The ground from where we'll start tonight is spiritual gifts have no spiritual effect on the life of the church if there is no love, right? That's that's my thesis, if you will. Spiritual gifts have no spiritual effect on the life of the church if there is no love. Um, Remember what Paul says. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8? Probably you won't. I'll remind you. He says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. An image. Have you ever uh, have you ever made popcorn? Have you ever made popcorn? So you, you've seen the, the corn puff up, right? It pops, right? That's what knowledge does. And, or or maybe, maybe even better, a balloon. Right? No more knowledge. That's it. It doesn't do anything to people's hearts and minds. It doesn't build up. It just puffs up, right? It has no chemistry there. There's no chemistry in knowledge. But love builds up. There's chemistry. It brings pieces together. Whether you agree or not. One more thing before we start. In Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians um, 12 and 13. Paul does not stop from emphasizing how important love is in the community. The main evidence of maturity in the Christian life is a growing love for God, for Christians, and for those who do not know Christ. The main evidence of maturity in the Christian life is a growing love for God, for Christians, and for those who do not know Christ. So let's, uh, let's look at seven points or seven descriptions of what love looks like or might look like in the context of spiritual gifts. Number one, love is patient and love is kind. It is very easy to love somebody who is very easy to love. Right? And it's very easy to serve somebody who is very easy to serve. But what do you do when people injure you in word or deed or say foolish things, maybe even not knowing about you or take advantage of your serving? How do you love them and how do you serve them? If you want an example of a person who is very difficult to love serve, think of Peter, before and after he sinned against Christ, right? He was puffing up. He had knowledge. He was a Jew. That's why I said there's no chemistry with knowledge. Was there chemistry between Peter and Christ before Christ went to the cross? No. He was always better, better than Christ. No, Lord Over my dead body you go to the cross, right? Peter, what are you talking about, man? About true love. One of the greatest attributes of true love is that it not only bears wrongs, statically, right? Not only bears wrongs, but it positively acts. In deeds of kindness, love is patient and kind. It bears and it acts in kindness. How about the Corinthians? The Corinthians to whom these verses were written, right? The 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, were very impatient in public meetings, in church. It wasn't long before the service went chaotic. What they needed was patience and kindness. But they couldn't because they were missing (coughs) love. That's what they were missing. Point number two. Love does not envy. Envy is a terrible sin. We all know at least one character in the Bible who was driven by envy. And he was driven to hell in the end. And his name is Cain. He killed his brother out of envy. That's how far and how powerful envy can be. The question is, how do we react as Christians? How do we react when other Christians receive blessings or benefits that we lack? Love is pleased for others to receive blessings. Are you happy for people who have blessings in their lives? The Corinthians weren't. They were envious. They were envious on other people's spiritual gifts. And sadly, they weren't content with their own. What they were missing was love. Number three: love does not boast. Boasting refers to two things. One, inward feelings of superiority. And number two, outward display of self-importance. One more time. Boasting refers to the inward feelings of superiority and it refers to the outward display of self-importance. Pride, and I think we all can testify to this, pride starts in the heart and it materializes into arrogance in front of others. Have you ever been proud? Think about it. That's exactly how it behaves. First it starts here and then it's outside in front of people. Unfortunately, many of the Corinthians were very proud of their spiritual gifts. And they loved showing off their spiritual gifts. But the problem was they were promoting themselves, not the unity of the church. What they were missing was love. Number four. Love is not arrogant or rude. There is a kind of graciousness or a, a kind of um, a kind of charm, if you will, in the attitude and the um, words and the behavior of a person who loves Christ truly. True love seeks only the good of others, and it's totally unselfish. Totally unselfish. Now, if you want an example of that, please remember. Um, three instances, Christ meeting the woman at the well, Christ meeting Nicodemus, or maybe even better, Christ meeting Pilate. In all three of these, there's a kind of charm and love displayed in the way Christ talks and behaves. You cannot find anywhere in the world, in the history of the world. Think about who those people were, especially Pilate, And how Christ behaved. Was he ever arrogant at all? No. But he was going to be sentenced by this guy to death. And not only that, but the guy knew he was innocent. I would be arrogant. Don't know about you. The Corinthians were rude, looking after their own interests. And this can be seen from their conduct at the Lord's table. Right? The text says that some were drunkards, some were gluttons, but there were poor people in the fellowship who didn't have anything. And nobody cared for them. Real love seeks the welfare of others, not of self. What were they missing? What were they missing? They were missing Love. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love, true love, does not keep a record of the evil people do against itself or him or herself. Forgiveness means that we wipe the record clean and never hold anything against that person. What did the Corinthians do? While boasting about their spiritual gifts, They would um, take believers to judges or to trial, right? To the court. And they would hurt them. They were keeping a record of people's wrongs. What were they missing? What were they missing? Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. In other words, love does not rejoice in sin. Love encourages people to repent of sin. Right? Peter says, Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sins. Right? Now, what were the Corinthians doing? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even amongst pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And what do they do? They are arrogant. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Says Paul. Love is never glad when somebody either suffers is involved in evil or sins. But, but the Corinthians couldn't be like that because they were missing something. And they were what they were missing is love. And finally conclusion. Love bears all, believes all, hopes all, and endures all. Somebody read this to us, to Vivian and I when we got married. Exactly this passage First Corinthians thirteen four to seven. And you know why? Because that's exactly how Christ behaved with. Everybody in this world, from the beginning of, the hist- of history, <coughs> of history until today. He is the application of everything we talked about. Through Christ's love in us, we can bear up under anything. Have faith and continue, continue in hope, continue in our serving others with our gift, no matter whether they're easy to love or serve or not. Christ gives us power to endure in anything. Love always leads to victory. Us serving each other in Koinonia, uh, with the gifts given to us by God, we not only show that we love Christ, but we show that we love one another. Now, you all know... Uh, the email that Lee sends out every Tuesday, and the, probably you all know, again, how he ends his email saying, don't forget to pray for one another. And I think it would be very healthy from time to time to add after the prayer reminder a line that would say, remember to love one another. It would be very helpful.